0: What does the Lord expect of me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord expects you, at the very least, to take the gifts that God has given you and to use them in his kingdom. We're not all given the same gifts, but we are all gifted Today has been a great mood-setter for the message that God has laid upon my heart to share with you today in this stewardship weeks that we're sharing together. David is a rare talent. James is as well, and all the others who gather on the stage, taking the songs, a triumphant sounding Wesleyan hymn and to put it to a to a tune that David wrote himself as he's been working on a num- number of Wesleyan hymns to write different tunes to them. And I encouraged him to get one ready, and he was good. He didn't tell me when it was coming so I could just soak it in today, having already heard it. And can it be in a thoughtful and reflective way so that it might set a background for the words that were pinned by Charles Wesley so long ago and can it mean that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood and followed up by oceans and then we talk about the relationship between God and those who follow God what does it mean to be in a covenantal relationship with the God of all creation who has touched me and made me created me given me through my parents into this world, endowed with a certain amount of gifts and graces that are beyond expectation, even being born in a nation like we live in. How fortunate and how blessed are we to be alive in this place. Even the most humble of us have so much to be thankful for. Those are bold words in Malachi that God speaks to the prophet, to the nation of Israel. It's not a good time in their life as these words are being received. And yet it is not an unknown either because throughout the nation's history, the people have struggled to be faithful to the God who has called them his own people. They have struggled to keep his commandments and laws. They have struggled to be a faithful people. They have struggled to care for one another. They have struggled to care for those who the poor ones in their midst. They have struggled to follow his ways and to be a light for the nations. They have found it difficult to open up all that God has given them so that other nations might be blessed through them. In fact, they really never got that part of God's great design. It's very painful to hear the words. I realize that. And some of you will hear these words today and your first thought will be to take a great sigh of relief and say, whew, man, I am glad that I am tithing my income to the church today because this sermon is for that rascal behind me (laughs) or that person in the far corner or the person in front of me. It's really not for me because I faithfully give 10% of all that I have to God. And I'm thankful if you're one of those persons. And congratulations for overcoming that one issue in your life that faces us all. What does the Lord expect of me? The Lord expects of us to be good stewards of what we have been given by God. Because basically stewardship is quite simple. All good things come from God. All good things are to be managed as stewards by those who have received the good things from God. And the tithe is one way in which we acknowledge that all that we have comes from God. It is one way in which we live up to our call to be a steward of all that God has given us. Who wants to stand in front of God in prayer and hear God say, You are robbing from me. I can't imagine more hurtful words. I stood there one day in my own life, realizing that I had been robbing from God, and I realized that I had a lot of good reasons for doing so. And I also realized that every one of them was about me rather than about God. That to simply take what God had given me and refuse to give back to God something that was easy and concrete was blocking me from moving on to the more difficult things in life. Really, it's a concrete expression of God's love for us and our love for God that is the easiest for us to to get control of in our lives. Things like going to worship, things like praying, things like reading the scripture, things like giving a tenth of our income. Those are the easy things in scripture. And yet, when we struggle with these physical hard things in our lives, and we make what is the easiest things in our love life with God difficult, how much more difficult is it for God to get past those to the real, even weightier issues of justice and righteousness and love for every human being that we struggle with inwardly and nobody knows it? I'm convinced and I, that there's a reason that Jesus spoke so much about our being faithful with our money more than he spoke about any other topic. I wished it had not been necessary. Did you ever wish that about other things in your life? I remembered sometimes when I'd done something wrong and I could see Daddy warming up with that big, long 42-inch belt (laughs) that there was another way we could accomplish the purpose, but I knew and he knew that there really wasn't another way. Uh, I needed to be reminded of how unpleasant it was to experience the negative disobedience in my life. Now some of you are going, you mean you actually got spanked? Yes, children, young at heart. Let me explain to you what that feels like. You don't want to go there. And the wonderful thing about that form of capital punishment administered in an appropriate way where I like to sit in my most of my life, in that certain place, there was lots of padding, so I was never really hurt, but I was really crushed. Because I knew every time that I needed a spanking that I had needed many more. But but grace of God and a good scheme of keeping things for mother and daddy had spared me all the punishment I needed. And yet, every time I got it, it was a stark reminder to me that I was so much less than I needed to be often. And there came a point in my life when I figured it out. You know, really, if I would just go ahead and do the things that I needed to do, I wouldn't have to suffer that. And trust me, it didn't take many of those lessons from my father. Yes, it was an archaic way of doing things we think now. (laughs) It might have been archaic now, but it was effective then. And in watching most of your children, I'm not so sure what you're doing that's getting the same result. Just saying, spoken from a grandparent, watching you raise your children, that there is a time and a place for some kind of discipline in our lives. Let this be that moment today, perhaps for some of you who have convinced yourselves that not giving of your wealth that God has given you back to God in the proportionate manner in which God called you to is a sin like any other and will simply be forgiven by God. Let me test you now in this. You're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. If you tell me that you love me and yet you rob from me what is mine and keep it from you, I doubt that any person in this room would believe that about anybody else. If somebody who was taking from you regularly and continually what belonged to to you and not returning it to you, you would call them a robber and you would be mad. You'd be upset. And when they walked up to you and said, well, I really do love you. I just don't intend to pay you. You would go, no, you don't really love me. Don't say that. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling really bad now about not tithing, I'm okay with that. Because a small part of this sermon is to help you see that any other thing that you figure out in your head about your ability to give that causes you not to return to God what belongs to God is keeping you from the full experience of God's love. And it's keeping you from telling God how much you really love God. It is blocking you from many of the blessings that God wants to give you. Wow, that's really all I want to preach today about that, because that's pretty heavy. Some of you are really squirming and hoping nobody knows that you're not the one not tithing. I get that. I was there once. I had to hear the message a lot of times before I finally could believe it with the encouragement of my wife. Giving was not natural to me, as I told you last week. It's not natural to a lot of you, but that doesn't mean that you are escaping God's insistent, loving call to be a part of his work on earth by returning to God what is God. I'm convinced that a lot of people don't really enjoy church because they don't get involved in church to a point where it affects their pocketbook. They don't really throw their two cents in with God. It was a beautiful thing Saturday morning. I came up not really feeling like much, but I had an appointment I needed to show up, and I pulled into the parking lot. Ah, I'd forgotten it was all church work day because I'd been busy uh, doing other things since Thursday night at my house, and I'd forgotten what the day of the week it really was. I'd been chasing that bug out of my life, trying to. And when I pulled up into the church and saw men and women Walking like little bees all over the church, like little ants, rather, There's a better analogy. And they were fixing all the mounds in the parking lot. They were shoveling dirt. They had rakes in their hands. They had on their work clothes. And man, it felt really good to see so many people gathered up to invest their time and their energy, knowing that somebody had already invested their money so that the dirt could be brought in, it could be spread, and making the whole parking lot so much more beautiful. And that's the way I feel every time we pass the offering plates. You know, one of the things that it's really, I don't like, that I support. I don't really like, what is the thing out in the hallway, I forget, where you go up to it and you digitally give your money? Kiosk, Kiosk. yeah, that thing. I don't really like that thing, uh, but it's a really good thing in the day and age in which we live. I don't really like people who give no' change that. I, I, I don't really like the idea that people give their money automatically by just drawing it out of their checking account every month, although it's good for the church budget, because when they would otherwise forget, it, it comes to the church. You know what I don't like about it and what I don't like about it myself, is sometimes we forget the sheer joy of putting something into the plate when it passes by me. Now, my, my old response to that is we give like a lot most people give, I guess, in this world. We give a check once a month. But we come to church a lot more often than that. And what I, I told my wife a long time ago is don't ever let the plate pass you by. Period. Don't ever do it. And for goodness sakes, don't put a dollar bill in it. And you say, well, why? Because everybody puts a dollar bill into it as if they would given something will only hardly buy a Coke unless you're at the right soda machine. I mean, I don't want to give God a dollar bill if I can keep from it unless it's the only one I have. Now, I know some of you are getting nervous and you're thinking, you've been watching what I put in that plate. Well, I don't put a lot of money in the plate every week because we do by check, but I put something in there to remind me that everything that I have from God, I need to give back to God from. I need the constant reminder that I am in a trust relationship with God Almighty. I need the constant reminder that I am not the center of my own world as much as I enjoy being that. I need the constant reminder that there are so many things that need to be done in God's world, and many of them, most of them, take Giving from Christians of their time and their talents and their money. And by the way, if you think, well, I'm good on the time and the talent stuff and the money I'm going to work on later, it's not one or the other, it's all of the above. We don't get to pick out the things in stewardship that we want to be good with. We need to, it's all matters. I don't know how many times in my ministry I should, you know, as you get older, you you realize you've messed up. And I realize I've messed up. I should have been counting every time the last 35 years that somebody told me well I really can't give much money but I give a lot of time (laughs) I heard that for many years before I finally got wise enough to say well I'm glad you're giving a lot of your time but you need to give a lot of your money too it's not one or the other reminds me of the girl that came into my class one uh, not my class my office one day she said I have a question it's about God I said okay I'm supposed to know something about that so what's your question she said if I mess up Three times over here, but I do good three times over here. Does that kind of balance out? And I smile. I said, "Wouldn't that be nice?" But no. And she said, "Well, why not?" I said, "Just doesn't work that way." First of all, you can't outgive God, and second of all, you're doing good as expected of you, and third of all, you can't buy God's love or God's forgiveness for having done something wrong. It just doesn't work that way. It's not a big balance bar where you put some good pennies over here and some bad pennies over there. So I can give a lot of my time, and I can come and sit in church and listen to sermons that are too long, get up and go home and know I don't have to give much money for that long sermon, do I? I already do that. Or did it, what what did I, you see, it just gets all convoluted when we start doing that game in our minds. And now, Now we all play that game to some extent, I get that. But what God said is to the nation of Israel in this particular passage, and I find this consistent, although the way that people tithe changes throughout the Old Testament and the understanding of the tithe changed. Actually the tithe is just the minimum. That was not all they were called to give. Most of the time in our nation today, boy, if we give a tithe, we're right next to Jesus, right? In purity? I remember some young men in a church that I pastored once, not all that long ago, when giving became an issue that it had never really become for these 35-year-olds who were making a pot full of money. And they had been kind of putting something in the plate. But finally, some of them took a Bible study, and they started studying the idea, and they became convinced they needed to tithe. And one of their members didn't go to Bible study with him. And what he finally did, he, they got to talking to him about the things they'd learned about following christ and it included giving 10% of your giving and his words to two of them who were talking to him about it was you don't really give 10% of your money to the church and they both said yes we do and on top of that we've made a pledge to the billing campaign he says you don't you know how much money that is they laughed and said of course we know how much it is we write the checks he says well that's crazy that's crazy it still seems crazy to him today And that's unfortunate. Because you see, by his unwillingness to simply trust God with his life, he's missing a lot of stuff that God wants to give him. He's taken himself out of the relationship he wants with God by his refusal to respond. Now, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not preaching a prosperity theology where when you obey the law... God begins to bless your socks off and you get wealthy and everything's good. I'm simply talking about a general reality in which God is expressing himself through this prophet. That when we return to God, what belongs to God, our lives will be blessed. Now you cannot manipulate God. You can't tithe for three weeks and then go down to local store and buy 12 lotto tickets and say okay God here's your time to get us even I've been tithing now for three months and I'm ready for the blessings to flow bless me now Uh, God will listen to that and uh, cough and clear his throat and get the bile out of it and say doesn't work that way you got to give from a heart that wants to give because you love me Sometimes we have to be obedient before we get the feelings of love, but I've met very few people who have ever given that haven't felt more love and blessed by God as the years have gone by. And God says, test me in this. You know, I've really met very few people that have been consistent givers and tithers and lovers of God who have not felt the blessing of God throughout their life. Now, I'm not saying they got rich because that never was the plan. I'm just saying they recognize what a difference it makes when they relate to their God, when they're doing what they know they should. Now, I know this is Old Testament Scripture, and a lot of people think it's Old Testament, so therefore it doesn't matter. Jesus' words in Matthew 23 are very clear about that. When he's chastising the scribes and the Pharisees, he says to them, you should have been giving the tithe, and you should have been paying attention to the larger things that matter also. In other words, he doesn't let us off the hook in the New Testament about the tithe. He assumes that's what you would be doing as a faithful follower of God. I know, you know, even if the tithe wasn't 10%, even if that wasn't what it's about, it needs to be something. And the tithe just happens to be what the Scripture says where we should start. And I believe that's true. You can talk about what a tithe is all day long. But the what a tithe is is 10% of however you figure it. People always wanna say, is that before taxes or after taxes? I say it's on what's yours. I never thought the money that I owe the government was mine. Uh, My daddy taught me that. And I have some few friends that had been examples of that for me when they didn't give their money to Uncle Sam. He, Uncle Sam came to them and told them, that's mine and you kept it. And now I want it plus interest. Uh, And if you don't give it to me, I will put you in jail. That's the kind of thing that happens when you try to keep Uncle Sam's money. God just waits for us. Waits for us to love God that much. You can take a person's checkbook and find out how much they love God. Because it doesn't matter where you're making a million dollars, 10% of it is still a lot. Or where you're making $10,000, 10% of it is still a lot. We give it first to God because it says to God, we trust you. We love you and we believe you love us and we believe that you will care for us. That's why the tithe was always given first. Because it says that we will trust God with our life after that. You see, this trusting God thing is so huge. It's so huge in our relationship. It's like a marital relationship or any other kind of relationship. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, once you get to a place where you're making a lot of money, that's not so hard. Yes, it is. It's always hard for people to give 10% of what they have. It was hard for me on the day I said we would tithe. I thought $60 a month was enough to make it in the church. I didn't know why they needed more money from me than that. And maybe the church didn't because even on a triple tithe, it was just the same amount as my car payment, $180. And that was a new car in 1975 or so, whenever... I finally got converted in my giving. It was a lot of money then, and it feels like a lot of money today. It needs to feel like a lot of money because I have so much money. Y'all pay me like a wealthy man. And I appreciate that. Just want to let you know that. Now, some of you on the finance committee are thinking, you know, we can cut that dude's salary. (laughs) You can, but then you'd be cutting what God gets too, and that'd be a shame. Uh, It doesn't matter how much you get, does it? It matters how you use it, right? Outward purity and inward purity must be accomplished together. You can't say you love God with all your heart, your mind, and soul and strength, and keep your time from God in His service, and keep God's money from God. If you say that, you're just lying, and God knows it, and you know it. Now, I want to get to something a little more personal. This church needs your money. I'm so glad to be able to say that now when I first arrived because I didn't cause that. Y'all did. Y'all did. You made the debt. I didn't. You chose to relocate your church. I didn't. Now, if all the rest of you that came after this church building was built and death was made, you can feel as good as I do right now. <laughs> we didn't make this debt. Okay. But now it's mine now it's mine and if we didn't have any debt I'd be preaching about tithing just like this right now because you see you need to give because that's what makes you close to God you can never get as close to God while you continue to keep God's money as you can by giving God's money to him I'm sorry there's just no way around it I'd like to tell you it'll be right, God will just forgive you for it it won't really matter but I'd be lying and I really don't want to do that standing up here because that's another thing that I'm a steward of. I'm a steward of this book and what it says to people. Now you say, well, if it was a law and it was not repealed in the New Testament, then I guess it's important. If, is it a reasonable response to life? I think it is. Do it, does it mean that you love God and the work of God's kingdom? It does when you give to the church. Quite frankly, I don't give it to the debt and I don't give it to the light bill. I give it to God because it's needed in the work of God's kingdom. If the bills go up, I still can't give appreciably more than what I'm already given, although I could give more and I will find a way to give more, because you see, just getting to a tithe is not the whole story. That's just the minimum giving. The real joy, if you want to look for real joy, get to the offering part. Get to the sacrificial giving where you have more money but you choose not to take it for yourself, but you choose to return it to the work of the God's kingdom. You don't buy that newer car, instead you give that extra money needy purpose in God's kingdom you don't build a bigger house you stay satisfied in the one you're in maybe you don't go to a cowboy game I know that's sacrilege for some but after all what's that done for you lately <laughs> I mean you know it's just, sport teams come and go right I mean mostly they're going lately But what you do for the kingdom of God, it's never forgotten. Ever. Ever. It's never forgotten. It always makes a difference. You say, well, how am I going to do that? If you could see what my paycheck is, you wouldn't be making jokes about your paycheck. I get that. I get that. All I'm saying is this. If you're not tithing at this point, are you willing to commit to making the tithe your goal? If you're not willing to do it tomorrow, which many of you could that aren't, I know that, you know that, there are some of you who cannot. Can you figure out what you are giving and what proportion of your income that makes? And then can you decide to increase it just 1% this year? Can you decide to give half of every raise you get to your tithe until you reach 10%? Are you willing to be that serious about your love for God with your money? Are you going to continue to let it stand between you and God? Just waiting for God to forgive you for it. Remember, this is not just a sin That you're waiting to be forgiven for. This is an expression of your love for God. The one thing you can't be forgiven for is failing to love God. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are wishing you weren't here now this morning. You've never heard about this Tide thing. And if you didn't know about it, you wouldn't be held accountable for it, right? Well, not exactly. Because you see, you're always held accountable for what's in the Word... And you're always held accountable as Americans for having more opportunity than any other nation or individual has ever had for knowing what's in this book. We have more time than anybody else in the whole world to read this book, and we think we don't have any. We have more self-help books in the bookstores we can afford to buy to help us understand it than any other nation or people have ever had. We have that at our disposal. We just don't take advantage of it a lot. And I'm not talking about understanding all the deep, dark things. This is just right up front. Give me 10%. It's not yours. It's mine. I want it. And you need to give it. I want it because I'm going to use it to save the world. And the work of my kingdom goes on through the church. And that's where these funds come to. Now, if you learn to give proportionally and incrementally, build up what you're giving. You will reach that tithe. I heard somebody not long ago that said they were taking the final step. I'd pastored that church for several years. They were finally getting to where they were going to be tithing. And I was proud for them because they had stayed on task to correct that problem in their life. It's not unlike other problems in our life. Sometimes we just have to get tough enough to do it. After we get to that point, we might ask ourselves, and I close with this How generous are we with God? How generous are we? Does a tithe represent generosity for us, or is it simply a minimum standard? What could we really do if we seriously loved God as much as we say we did? Today, in one small part of the world, we know there are some Cambodians whose homes have been flooded and the dam has broken. They can't get back to their homes, and if they did, they wouldn't find them there anyway. they have been destroyed. They're having difficulty even getting food and supplies to them because the waters have swollen so that you can't even get into them to get there. That's one small place in the world. Remember what happened in Pakistan. Remember what's happening to people who can't afford medical insurance to people whose children really are wanting for something. Maybe not in this nation, but in other nations around the world. I once had a fellow settle me. He said, Preacher, I understand you want me to give more money. And I'm thinking about that. But if I give more money, you're just going to turn around and ask me to give more money. I smiled. I said, yeah, you're right. He said, well, how much money do you need? And I said, more than you can ever give. Until every child is fed. Until everybody has a roof over their head. Until every nation is at peace. And every person that needs medical help can get it. Until every person who's starving for attention and love, can feel it in physical ways because people and the body of Christ have banded together to reach out and touch their lives, we have need for more. But God will use whatever we can give, but he can never use what we won't turn loose of. So no, you'll never give enough to finish the task but we can sure make things better. But we have to start with ourselves, curbing some of our desires. Even when you're in school, spending all that money for tuition. Even when you're in high school, making that money, you still got a chance to give back of that money you make. That's why we have pledge cards for youth. A children, we give a break. We expect the parents to teach them how to tithe what you give them. It's not a bad principle. You give them allowance, teach them to give a part of that allowance back to God. Because if they learn it when they're young, it's so much easier to try to learn it when they're 30. And then they've got to do it with the stark reality they're already starting behind. Teach God's children now to return what is God's to God. And they and you will be blessed for it. Y'all are tired of this sermon, I know, and I'm kind of tired of it too already. I, don't I have to do it every year, you know, and some of you say, well, what year are you planning on, What week are you going to preach it next year? <laughs> well, I'm never going to tell you that. <laughs> but I will say this as a way to close. I don't know how many of you are tithing, and I never will, but I know this. Many of you are giving And I thank you for that. Because this body of people have kept this school, these daycares, and this church afloat in tough times. And as bad as it sounds, and I know it does, I just, on God's behalf, let me tell you who have been faithful to your giving, thank you. Because your giving has made a difference. I talked to two adults just this past week who will soon be professing their faith and being baptized And received into the fellowship of the body of Christ because of your ministry. How much are two souls worth? More than we can ever give. And there are many, many more waiting for this church to blossom and bloom. And by God's hand and through our faithfulness in the small ways that we can, we have only just begun.